Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, it's been a long time since we recorded. How you doing? I'm doing well. We are no longer uh, domiciled in the uh, same state, I don't believe, anymore. You've uh, you've moved on us, and, uh, and we're doing this remotely once again, but I think uh, your move went well, right? Yeah, I mean, it went just like any move does. It was tedious and horrible, but uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons we were delayed in getting this recorded is because I've been doing nothing but packing and unpacking boxes for the last week, week and a half. So uh, yeah, I'm in Philly now, and you're still down in, in Arlington, but uh, we're going to continue to do the podcast remotely, and it worked out well before. I think it'll be a smooth transition here, Very smooth. but uh, I'm basically sitting in a prison cell. There's nothing on the walls, and I've been in my one bedroom all day doing absolutely Nothing but just trying to get set up and putting my workstation together and stuff. But I'm excited to do the podcast, man. It's We have a lot to talk about. It's been about a month. We we haven't done an episode since our bowl preview. It's been so long. And I know people were chomping at the bit to, to get us back on here and, and listen in and maybe get some insights on the team or just talk about some football, uh, if nothing else. So... We're excited to be back. Sorry for the delay, but we are we're up and running now. So, like every episode, we got to start with a shot, and you have to give us a cheers. So, why don't you why don't you start us off here? Like I always do, I'm going to wing this one again. Uh, I guess top of mind, uh, two things. One, we got a new recruiting class coming in, so uh, hat tip to all those guys, uh, and they're already. Uh, a lot of guys are already doing work. Those guys will be coming in and, and doing work um, when they make it on campus. And that, as well as Torian Gray uh, leaving the program to head down to Florida, his home state. So cheers to him. He put in a, about a decade with us, um, did great things with the defensive backs. So uh, a tough loss for us. I know we'll get a great replacement. And, um, you know, cheers to those uh, those group of people. Yeah, cheers to Coach Gray and uh, cheers to our our new recruits. Ooh. Oh, man, that hurts worse than normal. Um, I guess we should do the bowl game since it's been a month and we didn't ever recap it. We're going to do a quick recap because people probably have mostly forgotten about it. We won. That's what's most important. We sent Beamer out the right way and we held on for dear life for a 55-52 win over Tulsa. Did you – where were you watching the game? Were you with family? It was the day after Christmas. Yeah, I watched it. We actually went to – it was nice. My wife planned around it a little bit. So we were up in Columbus, Ohio. Um, for those that remember, my wife's whole entire family are Buckeyes fans. So we were up there for Christmas, watched it, and she planned it so we could be at a bar to watch the game. So that was that was great. How about you? I was – at my parents, uh, whole family was there, cousins, aunts and uncles. There's probably 25 people at my mom's house. And uh, the problem was the Skins-Eagles game was on at the same time, and a lot of my family were, were Eagles fans. So the main TV, we were kind of switching back and forth. And uh, so there was a few touchdowns I missed. Of course, I, I recorded the game, so I was able to go back and watch them. But there were so many scores that ultimately, while we were switching back and forth, watching Kirk Cousins kick our ass – uh, you know, I missed a couple of the TDs. Initially, that game, I mean, it started fast and furious. That first quarter was one of the most fun things I can remember uh, regarding Tech football. I mean, it was 24-21 after one quarter, 51-yard run by McMillan, a 75-yard basically screen pass to Isaiah Ford, uh, which had some great blocking, and he just took it to the house. Uh it was awesome. I mean, Sam and Bucky added two more touchdowns after that. And when Stroman ran that punt back and made it 45-21, that was about halfway through the second quarter, I thought the thing was over. Uh, you know, I was happy to f- flip channels because we were kicking butt. It didn't look like, you know, they were going to be able to keep up with us. But lo and behold, they started coming back. Yeah. If, if you told me that uh, a greased pig – um, was going to sneak into the stadium and security was going to chase it around for, you know, uh, 30 minutes, I would have believed that more than a 52-55 uh, game. That was just incredible. From what I've seen, that's the most points uh, since September 2009 uh, for the team. Overall, 
I thought it was a great performance. People did what they had to do. Michael Brewer, 23 for 37. You know, he had one TD, one pick, but he didn't cause too much damage. Isaiah Ford uh, put up huge numbers, uh, 227 yards. Um, McMillan actually only put up 82, but J.C. Coleman was in again. So they were spreading it around uh, a bit more than they had been in previous games leading up to that. So he had a good night. Um, So I think overall we sent Beamer out in style. It was exciting, more exciting than a lot of games that we've seen uh, in the last uh, few years. So overall, it was it was fun to watch. A little nerve wracking in the uh, in the third and fourth, but we pulled it together. I agree, man. And you know, I've given JC a hard time throughout the season, and for good reason. You know, he doesn't he doesn't always hit the holes, and he has made mistakes. But he was getting chunks of yardage, so I, you know I can't blame them for like keep. He only had eight carries, but he had seventy eight yards and. He was. They were coming in chunks. He didn't have like a really long gain. Of course, though, he had to ruin it with a fumble because that's what he does. He he's always had ball security issues, but somehow we managed to hold on. The defense, although they did give up fifty two points, uh, there were some uh, some cool plays, and we had eight tackles for a loss, five sacks. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, two and a half tackles for a loss. He's the future at backer. I'm excited to see what he can do in this defense. Him and Moto are going to have to change the game in terms of our linebacker play over the last couple of years. And I think they can, as long as they develop. Uh, but it was good to see Tremaine making some plays. Uh, we had just some random stuff. Sly had 10 kickoffs in this game, which is a lot, nine touchbacks. I mean, the guy just kicks it out of the end zone every time we had five rushing TDs. Like you said, Brewer only had the one pass despite the 334 yards passing. Of course, only all, but you know, a hundred of that went to Isaiah Ford, who just killed it. Like you said, I mean, he blew up. He's just so awesome. Of course, one of those was that seventy-five yard pass, but he piled on another hundred and you know fifty yards after that. He's awesome, man. I mean, I can't wait to see what he can do in an even more potent offense. Um, but yeah, him and McMillan both both passed the threshold of a thousand yards, which I thought was awesome. Well, we got one of our predictions right, which was um, you know a wide receiver going over a thousand, and Isaiah definitely made sure of that. I think the most surprising, and I think everybody's going to agree with it, was I know they have a good offense, but you know Bud giving up that many points, you know that type of yardage, he made some adjustments, um, and but that was a lot. I mean, it's funny you look back at it. VT now holds the record for most combined points scored in the you know the first half, and that's under Bud Foster. You know the the over in this game by Vegas was was achieved with seven minutes left in the second quarter. And that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about- I I didn't think they were going to score more than like twenty twenty four points, and they go out and score fifty two yep. uh, on us. And some of that might have been because we were up by a lot. There was a little bit of complacency, maybe. Um, it was just was sloppy, you know, it was a lot of sloppy plays and, uh, you know, but they do have a potent offense. So, you know, I just would have expected a little bit more from Bud's unit, but VT with 598 yards of offense. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, just regardless of the opponent, that's just almost 600 yards of offense is really, really impressive for us. Yeah. And daddy, I thought having the sack at the end was a nice touch on things um, going into, he actually had a nice performance in the senior bowl as well, um, which we're not going to touch on because, uh, well, he was the only one playing in it, but um, I thought that was a nice end to things to, to send it out given, uh, given he was lobster hands for most of the season and, you know, nobody could, he couldn't get a sack on anybody. I just had a couple uh, season total things. Like we mentioned Ford and McMillan going over a thousand, but Cam and Bucky both were over 500 yards receiving and Bucky ended the season with six touchdowns. Um, and I think he had about uh what was it? Seven last year. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got, he definitely knows how to get in the end zone and it was a good season for those two guys as well. I think they deserve to mention um, only 26 sacks for the defense this year. And, that was really disappointing. I think we're going to go into maybe some of the season stuff in a later podcast, but these are just some highlights I wanted to mention. I mean, only four and a half sacks for Akanum and four for Motua Puaka. Those are our two leading sackers. That's just hard to believe those totals were so low with the D-line we had coming back. Um, 
but we we've seen it all year and it was to be expected. In fact, the bowl game was one of our best sack performances we had on the season, if not the best. Yep. I can't we might have had one other game where we had five sacks. And then uh Chuck Clark, our leading tackler, had 107 tackles this year, which is 30 more than the next person behind him, which was uh Deion Clark. Uh he was definitely making plays all over the field. Probably a reflection of the poor linebacker play that our safety had to make so many tackles. But uh, it'll be good to have Chuck Clark back next year with those kind of numbers that he's producing. Yeah. Do you have anything just to say about the season in general? Or do you want to move on to signing day? I think I think it's time to move on. I mean, I think the the other piece of news that happened um, was you know Trey Edmonds transferring uh, over to Maryland. Uh, I we talked about this. I think you and I did, uh, Pete. I think you may have been a little bit more surprised. I kind of wasn't. I, there's a lot coming back, um, and with McMillan really being the you know the front runner going into this season, I I just didn't see a spot for him. It was strange given his two brothers are still at VT, and you know, and given a lot of the turmoil um, that's taken place at Maryland and some of the things that have gone on, uh, I thought it was a little bit of a strange move where he ended up going, but, you know, uh, that he moved on from the program. We wish him the best of luck, and, you know, I hope he does well there. Yeah, I was a little surprised, mainly because of the family connections to the university and everything like that. But, you know, the depth chart at running back is clogged, to say the least, and Trey had seen a severe you know, downtick in production and, and just carries in general. So it, it isn't terribly surprising. Uh, I do wish him the best. He seemed to always be a very good hokey. And that season where he led us in rushing, you know, he showed so much promise before that injury against UVA. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of like a what-if career a little bit with Trey. But I think he embodied everything you'd want out of a hokey player and, uh, you know, wish him the best. Let's move on to signing day. Uh, there's some... Definitely some things that, you know, I think we both want to say about what happened and all, what all went down. And I think it was important to reflect a couple days later on what happened on signing day rather than letting it disappoint you, perhaps. Um, we only got two commits on signing day. And if you follow tech recruiting or have over the last five to six years, signing day usually is a little bit of a letdown. I wouldn't say we are usually hitting the home runs on signing day that's that's left to the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Miamis even um, who will make a bigger splash on signing day or Texas, this year, Texas. I mean, Texas went yeah, from or Texas this year. That's for sure. They had what? 13, I think recruits going in, getting heat from the media. And then they just closed strong and ended up number 11 in the nation. I think um, they, that was on 24 or seven sports that uh, they ended up that high, but man, those Texas, what a day by Charlie strong, man. That it was incredible. It, it was crazy. But Tech ended up with two commitments on signing day, uh, guys by the name of Tyree Rogers and Iran Carter, neither one of which is a four-star. Uh, Tyree's a, a mid, middle-of-the-pack three-star. I think he can uh, can definitely be a valuable recruit for us. He, we flipped him from ODU, and Iran Carter was a two-star, I think, on most services, and a big linebacker, and Bud likes you know what, what he might be able to do on our defense. But we were expecting, maybe not expecting is the right word, but we were hoping to flip a few more guys on signing day. And, and guys who had just been on campus the previous weekend for visits and had maybe even led Fuente to believe that they would commit. Like, we don't know. This is all kind of hearsay stuff. But a lot of people close to the program thought we would make a few more, uh, get a few more commitments on signing day. And it, none of them seemed to pan out, uh, which left a lot of us disappointed. And with a new flashy coaching hire in Fuente, you're thinking you might get a bump from something like that. I mean, do you agree with what I'm saying, Rami? I agree with what you're saying. I think there is more likely to be, given where we were in a recruiting kind of uh, success and standpoint over the previous years, there was a lot of ground to make up. So I think the bump is more likely to be felt next year than it would be with two months' time trying to get it. But it was disappointing. I think it was around seven different recruits that we um, – a few of those you know, we, we were long shots, but there was about seven people that we thought may have a, a shot of, of, of flipping on signing day, and we ended up with a, with a big goose egg. So, you know, it, it is a little bit disappointing, but – 
um, I think we filled some holes, and in my mind, that that's that's the important part overall. Yeah, I I agree. And Joe uh, Lanza wrote a really good article on uh, the key play about what you just said in terms of you know be patient. These re- recruiting relationships take a long time to develop, and with only two months to basically get to know a kid and his family and you know sell your program, that's not really enough time. And like you said, again, next year we might see that bump. At least I hope we do. Fuente was never said to be a super ace recruiter. Uh, he's more of a, 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 a – what I hear is he's a good talent evaluator and obviously a good offensive mind um, and just a good coach overall. But we were never told that he was an ace recruiter. So this really shouldn't come as too much of a shock that we're going to like pull like a bunch of four stars right before signing day. But there was just from what there was rumblings that there would be a few flips and they didn't happen, and that led to the disappointment. But I I will say we got some high quality guys, and Fuente made his biggest splash a month prior when he got Gerard Evans to commit and play quarterback for the Hokies. That was you know if that had happened on signing day, we would all be singing a different tune probably. It's funny how the timing of it. Uh, changes our perception. Yeah, you get the number one, you know, JUCO quarterback in your program. That that was a, a need as well. Not necessarily that we don't have people lined up that that could be the next kind of superstar, but Fuente has spoke a lot over the past month about you know QB competition and what that means, especially given you know people tout him as kind of a QB whisperer. That's and he says again and again that's where one area that he thinks. Uh, you can take on teams uh, above your level um, if you have good quarterback play. And that doesn't mean they have to be stellar, but they have to be able to protect the football. So that land is is huge for the future of the program and actually ties together um, a lot of things in, in the class, in the QB class, and the five people that we will now have uh, going after QB spots moving forward. I think what also kind of put the exclamation point on signing day was that Torian Gray news came out like right at the end of the day when like we had just kind of finished processing maybe the the, the, the quote unquote letdown and then we lose arguably our best position coach and definitely the most I don't know acclaimed position coach of the last decade and one of our best recruiters in Torian Gray and having that happen after we had just you know failed to flip these handful of recruits it was just like this is a bad day. This is a really bad day. I texted you that. Um, I was I said it was already kind of a bad day and then I said, you know, now Torian's gone. That's that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Well, hopefully whoever we bring in, I know we're still interviewing some people. Um they can con- continue the t- tradition of D Block and DBU and and all that. We'll just have to wait and see on that. Um why don't we take a quick beer break before we talk about the the guys we did bring in? What do you think? I think that works. Well, well. All right. What are you drinking over there? I have a uh, double IPA. It's called Hop Gothic. Uh, it's actually a beer that I've been drinking a little bit now and again at a local restaurant that we have here in Arlington. Uh, it's delicious. It's from um, Arlington, Virginia. Uh, it's South Street Brewery. It's pretty amazing, actually. It's about 8.5%. Uh, it's a little bit warm since I was late getting home, so I didn't get to put it in the fridge, but it still tastes delicious, and I will certainly uh, head back to the place I got it from and, and go for some more in the future. I am drinking the Kensinger by Philadelphia Brewing Company. I went out and got some Philly beers as this is my new home, and um, this Kensinger, it's it's a classic Pilsner Uh Golden color and uh, just tastes great. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's probably about I don't I, can, I don't see it listed on here. But it's probably about five percent, five and a half. It's just it's just your American Pilsner style, and I like it. I got another Philly beer after this that I, that's a little bit might be a little bit more complex, but uh, this Kensinger is Philadelphia Brewing Company's uh, most well known beer, and it's sold at almost all the stores around here. Want to get let's into get it? into this 2016. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Let's get into this 2016 class. Uh, I'm just going to read off these numbers, and then I'll let you give some thoughts. Uh, according to Rivals, it was the number 49th ranked recruiting class 
and the 247 composite rankings had us at number 41. Neither of which of those rankings are where we're used to being, which is right around the top 25, if not within the top 25. And back when we were in school and just after, we were in the top 20 pretty consistently. Uh, got about, I'm seeing 19 kids according to Rivals, 21 commits according to 247. It depends because Clay Dean was technically a walk-on and not a recruit any longer. Um, so that those numbers, you know, it just will be explained whether the guy ended up being a walk-on or we offered him a scholarship. But the sites, you know, we're in the 40s when both of the recruiting sites. And uh, according to Rivals, there was only two four-stars, Gerard Evans, our QB, and Khalil Adler. And the composite only had us with one four-star, and that was Evans. So definitely not our best recruiting year by a long shot. Yeah. Uh, but wrestling we did feel for, some needs. Re- wrestling for sixth in the ACC is not really a good look uh, for us, but I, I I just don't see it sticking there moving forward. But right now, I think keeping, you know, we're 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 well, I think, short of it. But you know, keeping ten or less of the in-state top forty for us is something that we got to change. Now, if you follow, if you're on Twitter, if you're on anything that relates to Virginia Tech, I think you'll realize Fuente and the entire football team is, or our football program is making a big push to go after the in-state recruits. But re- recruiting's changed. I mean, a, a ton and, and a lot. For the worse, in my mind, but that's just me and helicopters and, you know, having trucks and climbing trees and, you know, sleep, sleeping sleepovers. You know, sleepovers. Um, the nice good news for me and maybe not for everybody is I think Fuente is um, very much against some of the antics that get uh, try and get publicity at the end of the day. But it's 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 changed a lot. Texas isn't keeping the same number of in-state recruits. Uh, Georgia is not keeping the same number. Florida is not. California there was a stat out there about what, um, how many of the in-state top ten was uh, retained by you know the big four schools in California, and it's dropped off. So it's become a smaller country with regard to recruiting. So while there's a lot of focus on keeping the in-state talent, and you can put together a pretty great program on just you know recruiting the seven five seven and locking those guys down, but. I think we need to open our app, the aperture of what we're going after. And I think a lot of the offers that we made may have been residual that Fuente, you know, touching some people down in, uh, in Memphis, some of the offers he made that were from out of state may have been ones that he re- was already recruiting. But I think he's willing to open the aperture and look at different schools that are out there and try and go after him because times have, have changed, uh, for lack of a better phrase, or maybe just an overused one. No, I, I hear you, and there definitely is more of a – it's easier to nationally recruit now. It's just you can be more connected to recruits all across the country, and we go down into Florida and have been for a long time, and obviously North Carolina is a place we recruit a lot and you know, up into Pennsylvania. So it is nice to put walls around the state of Virginia because there is so much talent, and if you could create those pipelines from the 757 and and Richmond and, and keep them keep them open and, and – uh, you could create an all-star team from just the players in Virginia. But in terms of, I mean, sometimes areas of need, such as offensive line, our state doesn't produce those as well. So you have to go outside the state. That's a good segue because when I'm looking at who we recruited and what positions in this class, the two most recruited positions were offensive line and wide receiver. And those are areas of need. Now, we're only losing one starter on offensive line in Wade Hanson, and, and Nijman actually played a lot. So in reality, we're kind of not losing any starters on the offensive line. But the depth behind them is lacking, and uh, you might have seen Austin Clark recently left the program, and he was our highest recruit last year as an offensive lineman. And, uh, and that's a bummer to see that he's not going to turn into anything, and he's leaving the program. So we need more offensive line guys, and we got one in the form of Dimitri Moore, another JUCO guy that that Fuente brought in, which was a huge get. And then we added another four guys on top of that. And because offensive line takes so long to develop, even though we had those starters coming back, we need these guys to get in the program, get in the weight room, and uh, start developing so we can be ready when, you know, Augie Conti leaves and, you know, John McLaughlin's going to be a senior, and we're going to need guys to step up. Yeah, I think it was a huge need. It was a great grab. It's a great foundation 
for the program, right? If you're coming in as a new coach, there, you know, things kind of live and die by your offensive line. And it doesn't mean it has to be elite, but it does mean that it has to be manageable and serviceable and it has to continue. So, you know, there's no better place to expend resources and bring people in than I think on the offensive line, especially early in your tenure as a coach when you're, you know, that's going to be one of the foundations, especially if, you know, you are hoping to have good quarterback play, which Fuente banks on. That's what his successes have been built on. So the other position I mentioned was wide receiver, and we picked up four wide receivers, Devon Diablo, uh, Patterson, uh, Eric Kuma, and Samuel Denmark. And this is huge as well because while we have Ford and Cam, you know, they're going to be juniors next year, and we more or less have no one behind them. I mean, there's guys, there's C.J. Carroll, and um, I'm honestly blanking on our other wide receivers' names right I now. I Dion but. <laughs> Yeah, Dion Newsom, who you know, I I was expecting big things from him last year, and it just never happened. I, I really don't know where he went. Uh, the ni- but, the um, nice point on him is, and you, and St- and Stroman, they moved yeah, over as well. And nice point on Newsom is actually some of the new coaches coming coming in said that they actually saw a lot of talent with him. So that's that's an outside party looking at him and seeing that that he has some upside potential if he can start to put the pieces together. But. I, I'm happy to hear that because I always thought Newsom could be great. But between those four guys that are coming in, uh, three of them are enrolling early, which is great to hear. So one of Divine Diablo, Eric Kumar, Samuel Denmark, they're all going to be here for spring. You know, it'd be nice if one of them could just, you know, blow the doors off when they walk, in, you know, and they, when they step on the field and just, you know, be that third wide receiver because we really do need to find somebody to step up. Um, and, with the two quarterbacks, Evans and Joshua Jackson coming in, that gives us a total of 11 offensive players in this class. Um, there were two athletes, uh, but I think both of them are going to end up playing DB, and that was Tyree Rogers and Javon Quillen, um, which would give us four DBs, which was uh, which was the third you know most amount of recruits in any position if, in fact, they end up playing DB. Um, we already have a lot of young DBs. This will really increase our depth, bringing in four more guys. Yeah. And, and not and sorry to double back, but on one point on the wide receivers, no, no I think you know, Fuente has said and publicly a number of times that he wants to push the tempo uh, of play. He's going to adapt to the, the, you know, the strengths of the team that he has, both players and just personnel in terms of depth. But his goal is to be running 85, 90 plays a game. You cannot do that with a couple wide receivers. I think one game that we played – um, I think somebody put up like 65 snaps or, or 60, and, and I can't remember. I think it was Isaiah Ford, and it's because we never took him out. He was in there every single play for the whole game. But to do 85, 90 snaps, we're, we need some depth. So I think this is also a forward-looking thing for us and what the Fuente offense is going to look like. We're going to be recruiting a little bit more heavily on the wide receiver side than we would normally see. Fuente joked the other day during an interview and said, you know, those guys played three to four. Oh, no, had eight to nine people catch a ball during the entire game. And he said, that's what we've done. We do like during our first possession, uh, you know, in terms of wide receivers, <laughs> that that's how much that he likes to spread the ball around and have fresh bodies out there. So moving forward, it's not just this year, but be prepared to see a lot of wide receiver talent or, you know, just, you know, bodies in general coming in each year. I want to talk a little bit about some other guys that were on the sites that I read. Devontae Beckett at, at linebacker is, an, is a guy that they're pretty high on. He's not going to be in for spring, but I think that he'll have an impact, maybe not in year one, but I think by his redshirt freshman or um, sophomore year, he could definitely be a player. Jimmy Taylor at defensive end, he will be there for spring. He's the only defensive end in this class. Part That's partly because we took a bunch last year and um, – we need some a couple of those guys to step up. Well, it'll be interesting to see if Taylor can get some early playing time. I think uh, he needs to develop a little bit more. But uh, but Bud Bud always has those phrases like twitchy and he has good bend and things like that. And he he used them all for Taylor. So <laughs> I'm interested to see if uh, if Taylor can can make some noise this spring. Uh, are there any other guys on here you wanted to just? pick out and, and talk about um i don't think so i think that's kind of what i had i think overall i mean to take it up a notch um 
that that's from the specifics. I, I did want to kind of hit one other point, and I want to give somebody some props who's gotten plenty of it and deserves it. But David Teal wrote an article just recently after his interview with um, Justin Fuente, which um, everybody said was awesome. You know, the key play guys even came out and said, you know, it was great. And I think he was saying, and it, it tied into something that we you talked about right at the very beginning, which was, you know, Fuente and his recruiting ability. And nobody ever claimed Fuente was going to be a, a, a superstar recruiter. In, in fact, that was one of the only concern areas that most people had for him. And I didn't necessarily, I was, it wasn't a concern for me. I didn't think that that was going to be a problem. He's more of a development guy. He's kind of a, you know, a, a longer term, a, you know, a longer view approach to, to what he sees in guys. And he said, you know, that there was some, you know, vindication, and at least in, in what I thought about that. And when Fuente came out and he said, you know, he diminishes a little bit the weight of recruiting rankings, and he said he doesn't make an apology about it. But, you know, once you get past the very top players in the country, basically you can think of as the top 50, he goes, it's almost impossible to evaluate the difference between, you know, 51 and, you know, 61 or whether 101. He, go, he said that it doesn't take, you know, a skilled eye to pick out the top people. But once you get beneath that, it's a whole new ball game. So I, I know – the only measure of people coming out of, you know, high school that we have are these recruiting rankings. But, you know, we're going to need to take a, a focus on development and what they can do with those people. And if you need any better kind of case in point on that, look at what we've done on defense for the better part of the last 10 years. There's been great recruiting classes. There's also been not so great recruiting classes. But somehow with the development that Foster and in some part, you know, Torian Gray and and um, Wiles and the team, what they do, it has made up for us not having, you know, the elite level recruiting that other schools do. So I think overall it's kind of, you know, it's fun to watch. It's, it's important, and I'd love to have, you know, a bunch of four stars, you know, across the board come in like Miami gets, Ohio State, et cetera. But let's give everybody a chance to to develop these players and see what they can do with them. I agree. And there's plenty of examples of schools overachieving on their recruiting rankings. Um, you know, and TCU, a place that uh, Fuente was formerly employed, is a good example. Michigan State, who has recently risen to prominence. Oregon has always done it with not the top notch recruits up until recently. Uh, it, it can be done. And we, we did it. I mean, we were one of the blueprints for it. Beamer was, he. You know, that's how we built the program was being a great talent evaluator and, and, and developer and and getting the guys that were under the radar. But hopefully we want to see the recruiting get elevated to the point where we're not finding diamonds in the rough. We're we're finding there's no rough involved. We're just finding the yep. diamonds. I, um, I definitely agree. And I don't want that's why I made the point. I don't want to undermine it. But I, you know, I think this is the perfect season for us to take a deep breath and not get too worried and give give the coaching staff their time to to see what they can do with players and then start building for 2017 agreed why don't we talk about a little bit of good news and that was junior day which happened a week after the weekend after signing day the week after the previous visits and we got a big time commit on junior day a guy by the name of taiwan garbett uh, he's a defensive end. He's a four-star, and he's in the top 200 in both rivals and the 247 composite, and he's also a Virginia kid. So all the way around, area of need, Virginia kid, top 200 recruit. Like, this is perfect. This is great. This is exactly what we want, and it came on the heels of signing day when we were bombed. It, it was great news. I Yes, I I don't want to get too excited too early based on our comments about, you know, how things quick can change, quickly things can change. But I was I was stoked about that. I was even more stoked than when a couple of days later there was stuff coming out about how he's going to start, you know, trying to recruit people in, you know, in the area to to come to Virginia Tech, some of the top people that he plays with or knows. So, not only do you bring in a kid that has said and Fuente has made this a, a point that's come out as well to bring you know some other information in is that he wants people to shut off their recruiting when they when they uh, commit to Virginia Tech, which you know 
that cuts both ways. You know, that and some players may say, well, I'm not going to recruit until the final hour. So we may see we may see even more in the future suspense going into signing day when you're telling people that they got to shut off recruiting. But to see a kid say, and he said it on Twitter and other outlets, that he was going to shut down his recruiting this early in the process – Things can change, but and then to also say that now he's willing to you know to go out there and try and pound the table and bring others into Virginia Tech. I mean that that was just a huge boost for what seemed like a little bit of a letdown on actual signing day. Yeah, I agree. And Bud Foster was the primary recruiter on on Garbit, and uh, and you know he Garbit one he reiterated his commitment after the fact, and you know solidified it and uh, credited Bud Foster for the reason why he committed. So, it, you know, he seems like a good kid. And that, that thing about him wanting to convince, uh, you know, some of the other VA boys to come to tech, like that's, that's even, that's music to our ears. Uh, hashtag Bud got butt. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, there were lots of high end recruit on campus that weekend. And like you said, the number one in the recruit in Virginia, Kalan Laybourne was on campus. That's one of the guys Garbett mentioned trying to get, to come to tech. Um, it sounded like it was a fun day and the tech basketball team did us a favor by beating Clemson that day too. And it was apparently like castle was on fire. I was not able to watch that game, but I saw the highlight of uh, Jalen Hudson's dunk down the lane and the place just went nuts. It, it looked yeah, awesome. I think we had, and I'll, I'll mix it up because it might've been two and three. It was the number one, number two, I think number four and number five in the state of Virginia. There's obviously a lot more than that if those guys are showing up uh, that were on campus, and it might have been the two and three that were flopped. But you know they had a uh, they had a uh, I think it was a cake or pie eating contest. You know they had some cornhole going on. You could see a little bit of a changing in the guard of you know Fuente's approach that you know he's not going to do helicopter flyovers, but he is willing to adapt a little bit in his style of recruiting and make sure that you know, a bunch of juniors that are coming on campus have a good time. And I think a lot of the feedback was really positive. And I think that, you know, this could be where the rubber meets the road for leading into 2017. I'm not saying we're going to get everybody, but I think we can do some damage in Virginia if we keep this up. Agreed. Well, speaking of next season, um, you have some thoughts on that, but, uh, and I want to, I want to talk about, 2016 football season in a second here but let's do another beer break first pete what uh what are you drinking over there is it another hopefully something a little higher uh alcohol content than the last one a little bit yeah i'm it's a it's a six percent alcohol uh ale it's called poor richard's tavern spruce it's uh by yards brewery which is another philadelphia brewery and uh it's really good i, I don't know if you remember when we had the dogfish head Pennsylvania tuxedo, but it was brewed with spruce tips. It was and delicious. I really love that beer. It tasted kind of like a Christmas tree, which oddly was great. I loved it. It's one of my favorite beers we've had on the season. So I saw this one, and it also has uh, uh, sprigs, spruce tips, and molasses brewed in it, and it tastes awesome. It's a little less, um, little less piney, I suppose, than than the Pennsylvania tuxedo. But uh, but it's really good. It's called Poor Richard's Tavern Spruce, and it's by Yards Brewery. What are you drinking? I went with the Hop Hash, not to be confused with the Hop Gothic. Uh, obviously, another double IPA, which for those that listen in regularly will understand that's kind of what I gravitate to. Apologies for that, but it's a Sweetwater Brewing Company out of Atlanta, Georgia, and it's delicious. It's actually another one of the beers that uh, a local restaurant has on tap that when I pop over there for some food and hang out that I grab it there. So I saw it in the store and I went for it and it's as delicious as it ever is. Nothing beats on tap, but, you know, it's it's the second best thing. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say in this next segment because – I really don't have any notes on this. You kind of had some thoughts on next season and just uh I'm interested to hear what you have to say and I'm just going to respond um 
And what are you calling this exactly? I think this is, uh, you know, uh, I'll be cliche. Everybody does their too early, and they're too early, you know, top 25 or whatever it is, too early. ESPN does their too early power rankings, whatever the case may be. So, sadly, I'll just call it the the early. I'm not going to say too early. I'll just say very early. Um Thoughts on next season? Now that the schedule has been released and we know what it's looking like next year, we've all been uh, prone to kind of, you know, look forward and pronosticate on what the future kind of holds. And I'm going to just kind of run through what the schedule is, and then I'm going to go with what I think we can do. And you can just kind of chirp back. And then the good news is, is that when we do our next podcast, I think the goal is then Pete's going to run through it, and I'll kind of respond to his. Then again, I'll have already done a little bit of research, so I may have a leg up, and I'm just kind of firing at him. He also hasn't seen this, so um, let's get let's get started. So we start off with Liberty. I think getting something a bit softer this year is nice, given the Ohio State matchup. Um, second week, uh, we go to Tennessee. There's a lot of hype based uh, around Tennessee for next year. Obviously, they have some off-the-field issues that have come up recently. I'm not sure. I don't think that's going to involve any current players or involve anything else. So Tennessee has been is what I would characterize as kind of a a dark horse, you know, playoff contender. And they always seem to be, you know, a contender for something and always seem to get, you know, underperform in recent years. But that's going to be an awesome game. It's in Bristol, obviously about two hours from Blacksburg, two hours from uh, from Tennessee. And I think that's going to be awesome. I'm going. I'm bringing a bunch of people there. But, you know, I think that's a huge game for, for Virginia Tech to kind of see where they are early on in the season. We get BC early. For those that listen, you know my thoughts on Adazio. I have a high level of respect for the way he runs his program, you know, his style of play. I think the hard-nosed game actually gives us a chance to toughen up um, – our offense in particular, but still managed to pull a W because I'm not sure that they're going to be good that year. But, you know, it'll be a nice kind of way to get a, uh, you know, a second tough game with a, a strong potential to get a W. ECU scares me like it always does. I know I know our thoughts and your thoughts, Pete, that we should be knocking out ECU every year. They have a coaching change uh, this year. They decided to fire somebody that was doing pretty well for them. But, um, Montgomery, their new coach, is no slouch, so that that frightens me a little bit. ECU is going to be, or UNC, sorry, is going to be tough. Uh, we come off a bye week, which is nice, but that could be that could be a brutal game with you know what they're returning, the way Fedora has that that team running. I think that could be very interesting. Syracuse now has Dino Babers. Great coaching hire. I mean, any way you cut it uh, for Syracuse, uh, that that is a terrific hire. I think it's going to take a little while to turn that program around, so I'm not too worried about it. But it is the Carrier Dome that almost uh, that almost took off uh, or knocked out uh, LSU this year, which we joked about. That's right. Miami, we get on Thursday night. That game is going to be awesome. I know some people were clamoring that you know we wish we had an easier team for the spotlight to be on now that they have Mark Rick, but I mean the visibility that that game's going to get uh, is going to be tremendous for both programs, and I really hope it's a shootout because it could do a, a lot of good things for the ACC. Another Thursday night, um, the next week, I don't know much about Pitt yet, and quite honestly, I'm just going to kind of hold my judgment there. Um, I know their coach is fantastic. And we'll we'll kind of see what ends up happening there. Duke, Georgia Tech, I think both of those games could be a toss-up. Losing Justin Thomas um, could cause problems um, for, for GT. And did you see the thing about Thomas Circuit? Duke just got towards yeah, Achilles? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going next was Duke's QB just went down. And I don't know what the timetable. It hasn't been set for him, but it doesn't sound like from what I've heard from people – um, the key play, some people were posting about having that same type of injury back when they were athletes and not message bog you know, posters like we all are, um, saying that it would take too long and he's not going to be back. Um, Notre Dame, I, <laughs> that's going to be tough. It's, it's always going to be tough, and especially being in South Bend, uh, that's going to be a, a That's going to be 
a tough, tough game because they're, they're legitimate national championship contenders for next year. Yeah. Uh, I will be going. My cousin went to Notre Dame. We're pretty close, and I got a place to stay out there. I'm going to go, but I depending on how we are, because we could be good too, but that is going to be a tough one to win. That's yeah, I sure. told my wife that I'm definitely going to that game. I don't care what I have to do, and I have a few diehard Notre Dame fans that I can you know have figure out logistics for me, luckily. And then we have UVA and Bronco Mendenhall to end the, end the season. I don't know what to expect. Uh, BYU has has done a lot with not not necessarily not great talent, but limited recruiting ability to get the right talent because obviously if you're heading to BYU, there's a reason for it. So I I don't know what to expect there, but I think, you know, it could go well. So my my early prediction to sum all of this up is looking at the coaches, right? So you know, for once, the the phrase "pass for returns" or no in indication of future results plays to our benefit because we, for once in the last twenty nine years, have a new coach. So I don't think anybody really knows what to expect. But it's also to our detriment in the sense that this year we play against Montgomery, Babers, Richt, and Mendenhall, and then you have Jones, Fedora, Narduzzi, Johnson, and Kelly. It's just. There's a lot of coaching talent in the ACC right now, which I think only benefits the conference. But, you know, it could play to our detriment to the extent any of those coaches really turn some of these programs around. I'm thinking 7-5 and five next year. I think wins over Liberty, BC, ECU, Syracuse, Duke, Georgia Tech, and UVA. I have us basically, you know, kind of up in the air against Pitt. UNC, I think, leans towards a loss, and then I don't think we necessarily have a chance against Tennessee, Miami, and Notre Dame. Notre Dame and Tennessee I feel really strongly about. Uh, they, I think those programs are going to be really good next year. And Miami, I think it it really depends on how quickly Mark Rick can take. You know, he was a former player there. Uh, how much he can really tie in to, you know, both trying to eliminate, which they're trying to, kind of the swag culture there, but also tie into it to put together a really good program early on because they recruited, again, very well this year, like they always will out of coming out of Florida. Well, I think it was definitely something we needed to do is go over the schedule since it did just come out uh, over the last couple of weeks. And there's obviously those that Tennessee, that Notre Dame – uh, even going in the Carrier Dome, that really intrigues me. I mean, it, that's just a throwback for me and you who were in school when we transitioned from the Big East into the ACC while we were still in college. And, and I remember, you know, that Brian Randall 500-yard performance that we ended up losing at the Carrier Dome. I mean, it's a house of horrors for the Hokies. Uh, we could easily lose that one. Uh, I like our chances, but it's it's a tough place to play. Uh the schedule is really interesting. I that Liberty game, like you said, it'll be nice to start the season off, get a win, going into the battle at Bristol. I'll be there. I'm pretty sure you'll be there. And um, I don't know what to expect from that game, but that more. I, I'm looking forward to Notre Dame. You know, I always look forward to the uh, the UVA game and uh, the Miami game, but that Tennessee game. I'm psyched about it, and I really don't know what's going to happen. Tennessee has recruited their butts off the last three, four years, and now's the time that that recruiting should be paying dividends, and that worries me. But um, I really think with the talent we have coming back on offense and all the young guys we had to play on defense and a lot of them coming back too, um, uh, despite the coaching change, we're going to be real competitive. And that I, I'm just hoping that the battle at Bristol is yeah. a battle. I'm hoping that it's a competitive game. And, I mean, uh, my notes, yeah, my notes here are that if we keep it close in Tennessee, yeah, a win would be outstanding. That would be huge over an SEC team. Granted, you know, it's not it's not the power SEC uh, side of the conference, but a win right there, I think our record could be plus one to plus two. I, sorry, if a close game is there, a plus one, plus two to my seven and five, if we keep the Tennessee game close, uh, that's that's how I'm thinking about the season. So I have seven and five with potential to go, you know, eight and four, uh, nine and three, if we keep that Tennessee game close. 
it's funny. I I'm almost I'm surprised to hear you give such a mediocre prediction because you are you're definitely an an optimist when it comes to the Hokies. I mean, I I am too, but I feel like sometimes you even outdo me in in your optimism and and for you to predict a 7 and 5 with the guys we have coming back, I'm I'm kind of surprised. I, I there's nothing to see. Subject to change, right. of course. I'm right? hoping to, you know, <laughs> assuming anything's open. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are, Pete, but I'm hoping to try and make it to, you know, something in spring if I can, if it's open, to try and get a read because, you know, even you know, you know, French from the key play, like a lot of people are having a hard time trying to digest what this offense is going to look like and what our talent level is. I mean, we were just talking. We don't. You know, we don't have the wide receivers right now to do what Fuente does really, really well, which is, you know, spread the ball around to a lot of young bodies. So I, I right now I'm staying reserved. I probably will jump on the hype train more towards uh, the season, but I have all the confidence in the world in this team, the players and the coach. But I got, you know, nobody has anything to go off of except for film from Memphis, which is a bunch of two and three stars. I mean, I think other than not having the right depth, Fuente is walking in with better talent than he had at Memphis with the question mark being the QB and a little bit of lack of depth in some, some positions. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. That's kind of just my read on the world right now. And it'll, it'll change probably. Yeah. And we're definitely going to, do a season preview later in the summer and definitely go over the games and what we think then as well. But it's fun to talk about it now, just based on what we think, based on who's coming in and the freshmen that might make an impact and this and that. Um, so that was fun. I want to do a quick touch on Hokie Hoops. And both me and you have been watching a bunch of the games. And I I have been following the basketball team closely um, for a long time, since since that 2007 season really – when we finally went back to the tournament with Seth Greenberg, um, Zabian Dowdell and Jamon Gordon, those guys, I, I follow the team pretty, pretty close. And it's been hard these last couple of years with the James Jones years and uh, even Buzz's first year last year was rough. Uh, but the guys this year have really been showing some fight. They're 13 and 12 and they're 5 and 7 in the ACC. That doesn't tell the whole story just because we've been struggling lately. Uh, we started four and one in the ACC. We beat number four UVA, which was an awesome, awesome win. Uh, just like any of our other wins this year, it seems to always come down to the wire, and we just about gave it up. But we beat the number fourth ranked team in the country at the time, and UVA is twenty and four this year. They only have four losses, and one of them's to us. So, you know, I'll I'll take that all the way to the bank. They repaid us uh, a couple nights ago by kicking our ass, but um, but it was nice to beat them. Uh, I would say that Zach Ledet has been our MVP this year. And we're not going to go too deep into the stats and stuff. That's That would be for an all-basketball podcast we're hoping to do at the end of the season. But Zach Ledet is our leading, uh, leading scorer, our leading rebounder. Uh, he's shooting 48% from three in ACC play. And he just seems to have, like, <laughs> to, to use a cliche, the heart of a champion. He really does. Like, he, he shows the fire on the court. Uh, he seems to, to lead by example. And it's when I saw his numbers at South Florida and he's coming in, you're very unimpressed. And we all thought Seth Allen was going to be that transfer that, you know, takes tech basketball up a notch. And it's been Lede. And I think um, Buzz's Buzz's like comments on him are very telling of what his mentality is. He he was saying just the other day during the interview that, you know, Lede texted him. I think, you know, it was one of the articles that texted him and said, hey, I really apologize. Not this past game, but the two games before that or three games before that for missing, you know, those free throws. And, you know, Buzz's response to him was in the way as Buzz reads his mentality was, well, just don't miss, miss them next time, which he, you know, he is inspired by driving to be better every single week and he doesn't take pats on the back um as as a consolation prize he takes them as you know something negative that he he should be told what he can do better so he's been so impressive this year and come in and done you know amazing things for us and i think you're exactly right is most people thought it was gonna be alan 
Lede has has carried the day, and especially in some of the some of the big wins. Uh, and I, yeah, absolutely, I, I totally agree. And some of the guys that have been most impressive on the team so far, other than Lede, are the three freshmen we brought in: Chris Clark, Kerry Blackshear, and Justin Robinson. Have are been amazing for freshmen. They have they've obviously had their moments, and and Blackshear is probably the biggest. Uh, uh, you know, of those, like he'll have these halves of games where he doesn't show up. And the second half, you're like, this is a completely different player. But Clark, before he got injured, was, you know, killing it, rebounding, and just turning garbage into gold. Like he, he you don't need to run a play for him. He's just there scoring points. Uh, and Justin Robinson, at point guard, I mean, he's he's come a long way just throughout the season alone. He's has the most um, assists per game on the team. He's le- beating out Allen and Wilson, two guys who are much older than him. And he's a little bulldog in there, man. He he's trying hard all the time. It's kind of funny watching him like uh, his his like get up and down the court because he's he's not like the most athletic kid in the world. Uh, but you know, I I like his style of play, and I, I'm I I think he's going to be a really valuable point guard for us going forward. And if you combine those three freshmen with Bibbs, Hudson, and uh, Ahmed Hill. Like that, this young core we have is so good going forward. Now there's a little bit of a a lack of of big men there, and we have Satchel Pierce, who was more of a project and and is has taken his sweet time coming along. But um, but Buzz, you know, isn't afraid to go out and get a JUCO guy like Johnny Hamilton or uh, Shane Henry to to help that out if we need guys down the road. But Bibbs, Hudson, Clark, Blackshear, Robinson, Ahmed Hill, like these guys can really form a nice core that could take us back to the tournament. And it's funny that ACC winning streak we were on uh, when we were four and one, you know, we were doing that without Clark and Hill. And those were our two most prized recruits of the last two seasons. And they both hadn't played at all in ACC play. So to be winning and playing teams like Notre Dame on the road to the wire without, you know, our two highest recruits, it's impressive. And I have to give buzz some credit because early in the season, I was, I had honestly been a little disappointed. I, it's unfair because it's only been it was only a year, you know a year and a half. But I know WVU is good, good, but losing on your home floor by twenty five points to a rival, I was bummed. And then a, less than a week later, we go out and beat UVA. So go figure. I mean, Buzz, whatever he said to them after that WVU loss, it it worked because the team has been playing great. And I don't want to focus on the negative too much. But we mentioned Seth Allen, and I, I would have to say he's been the biggest disappointment on the team. Uh, he he really can't shoot the basketball. If you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me say that a thousand times. He makes some plays. He really does, and he's kept us in some games single-handedly. But he also is so flawed. He turns the ball over more than he gets assists uh, based on his ratio. And Buzz honestly has to pull him off the court to prevent him from compounding the problem. And Buzz has done a good job doing that. Yeah. Have you know, have you noticed what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, when I'm watching, watching games, games and absolutely, it's it's been troublesome. I think, I think overall the the real kind of takeaway that I see when I they're on the court and it comes in the best sign of and I said I think I sent this to you the other night and in the blowout losses really get ugly, right? You look at Duke, Syracuse, and they do. UVA. <laughs> And that's a well, not Syracuse. We went to oh, overtime. Sorry, sorry, not Syracuse. Um, Duke and UVA. It's a, I think it's a sign of immaturity in a lot of senses because these are young young guys out there, and you're playing that many, you know, freshmen. And as you know, you you start to give up, right? When you're in your younger years, and you see it on the football field, on the basketball court, it doesn't really matter. Like you kind of just give up, and you think it doesn't matter that you know how the game's going to end. You just want it to end. And you see things that inspire you. Chris Clark coming in the other night against UVA and having a fantastic game. I mean, he really did. He played his heart out. He had 11 points in 13 yeah, minutes. It, it, it's incredible. So the foundation is there. You know, you got to, we got the bricks and, and some mortar, and now it's time to put up, you know, the walls. And I think that it can get. I can see this foundation of a team with some more recruiting, you know, being very successful. But I think it comes down to Buzz has a way of adapting his style or not adapting it because some people it doesn't resonate with to 
people that are inspired by more than just the game, which I kind of resonate with. You know, if we look back at the heyday of Frank Beamer and all those things, he inspired his players to be more than just what it is on the court. But what they were off the court inspired them to be better when they played, you know, whatever their respective, you know, sport was or academics or whatever the case may be. And I just think, to your point, I want to see wins for Virginia Tech, absolutely. But to see men grow and become a better team together cohesively when they are completely overmatched in the ACC right now, absolutely. From a talent level, from you know a seniority level of where they are in school, they are completely outmatched. And they're still you know, throwing punches to Notre Dame. They're still throwing punches in games in UNC, which they have no business really being in at this point in the in you know the collective turnaround that Buzz is trying to put forth. And Buzz has done a good job in a number of different ways, but the way we're playing basketball, it shows in some of the stats because Buzz has decided we're going to penetrate and go to the basket because we can't really compete in like a half-court offense over and over and over again. Uh, we just simply aren't good enough at executing. So we go to the basket, and we are fourth nationally in free-throw attempts. Every single game you watch the Hokies, it's like a free-throw shooting contest. But that has kept us in a lot of games. And, you know, that's not something we did a lot last year. I mean, here and there, sure. But, you know, Buzz was like, you know what? We have these weaknesses. This is how we're going to play it. We have some guys who can penetrate in Allen and Hudson and even Bibbs at times. Um, and that's what we're going to do. And it's kind of crazy how many free throws we've shot. And we don't shoot a bad percentage either. We're shooting about 70%. Um, it's not top 50, but it's it's not bad. Uh, so it's just I like Buzz's ability to adapt. I think you said it best when you said that. Uh, he's found a way to make this team competitive despite their – level of youth and inexperience. I think and with that I think we can say, you know, it's been a successful basketball season for sure and we've shown How do you think it's going to finish? I guess that's probably cuz we we're not going to post again until after probably things are wrapped up. We have two games ga- left against Miami, which is unfortunate because they're rolling. Um we also are sitting on, I guess we're a couple days into a week break that um before games start up again. How do you think things will finish off for the season? Um, most people are hoping to just kind of break 500, given I think a lot of people are chalking up two, two Miami games as a loss. How do you think we'll end up right now? Um, well, we've got, we've got what, six games left uh, in before the ACC tournament. One game above 500 right now. you got BC and Wake. Those are very winnable games. Uh, Florida State at home, that's a winnable game. Pitt at home and Miami at home. You you know, if we could go three and three in those final six games with, you know, the three home games and then a very winnable away game at Boston College, uh, we could we should go three and three in these last six games. We should finish, you know, eight and ten in the ACC, and that would be awesome. If that happens, that would be great. Now, you know, if we if we end up going two and four, we're going to finish one game under five hundred. But maybe we can steal a game early in the ACC tournament, and finish the season five hundred. We'll have to see. I think three and three is a good goal because Pitt is a really tough team. Miami's a really tough team. We got to play them twice. Um, but Wake and BC, Wake owes us one because we already beat them. But you know, those are winnable games. We'll see. Let's hope for three and three down the stretch. Okay. Well, I think that'll sum it up. Do you have anything you want to say about, you know, the football team, signing day, basketball? I think we got it all covered today. I think we covered a lot. I'm I'm sure this will be a long podcast, but um, hopefully people can listen to it in segments because uh, it's been a while since we've been on, and we're going to – yeah, I think maybe just summarizing what we think is going to happen moving forward. So Pete and I are doing a ton of work around trying to get guests on at the right time and, you know, having, bringing some more content other than, you know, the two of us uh, sitting at a computer, you know, talking to each other. But, you know, all the work we put into this, we're also putting work into getting, you know, guests on that we hope. And I think we have one that we can definitely get on at the right point and another that we're working real hard. That would be a big national guest. So, you know, keep tuning in. We're not going to post as frequently as we did during football season, but 
our goal is, you know, something like once a month or, you know, maybe a little faster than that to, to get a podcast out there and keep things fresh. When things ramp up during the spring and we start having practices and we're getting feedback from that, I think, you know, we'll have some more content beyond just recruiting rankings to, to talk about. Yeah, don't, definitely don't take our our recent layoff as a as a sign of our diminished enthusiasm because we couldn't be more excited about what Justin Fuente is going to bring to the team, spring practice, um, you know what what buzz has going with the basketball team. We want to wrap that and you know previewing next season. So, like Robbie said, once a month, once every three weeks, hopefully we'll have a pod out there for you. Um, and uh, we thank you a lot for listening. You can always find us uh, at 2DVT on Twitter. Email us any questions you have at 2DVT at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. And if you enjoy the podcast, write us a review because that really helps us out. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.